I want to ask you a question as we get started in our look at James today. And the question is, who in history had the strongest belief in God? A steadfast, unshakable belief in the God of the Bible. Well, the answer that James gives us is Satan and his demons. I mean, when you think about it, who better than Satan believes that there is a God, that he is a God of power and might. And Satan and his demons tremble at the thought of this God. In fact, it's really interesting in the Gospels, when Jesus would encounter a person who was demon-possessed, so often the demon would speak to Jesus recognizing who he was. Let me just give you one example. This is from the first chapter of Mark. Jesus encounters a man who is demon-possessed, and before Jesus even says anything to the man or to the demon, the demon speaks to Jesus and says this. He says, What do you want from us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, the demons knew who Jesus was. There may not have been anybody else in the world who really understood that Jesus was the Son of God, but the demons knew, and they trembled. So James is saying that if all you have is belief in God, that just doesn't cut it. So what we're going to do is we're going to look today at the last part of the second chapter of James as we kind of continue this, wrap up the first half of our eight-week study in the book of James. So if you've um, got a Bible and you want to turn to James chapter 2, starting with verse 14, you can do that. While you're doing it, let me just remind you again of the authorship of this book. So Jesus had siblings, right? He had half-brothers and half-sisters. Mary and Joseph had other children after Jesus. And and one of those children, some of them are named in the Gospels, one of them was James, who is a half-brother of Jesus. And part of the confusion, I think, comes from the fact that there are other people named James in the Gospels as well, right? In fact, two of Jesus' twelve disciples were named James, one of them especially prominent, James so there were these two sets of fishermen brothers, remember up on the Sea of Galilee, Peter and Andrew, and then James and John. And that James became kind of the inner circle of Jesus' followers, Peter and Andrew and James. That James, the disciple of Jesus, is executed by King Herod soon after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. So from that point on, if you're reading in the New Testament about James, the James it's talking about is not the disciple James, it's James the brother of Jesus. It's that James who wrote this letter to some of these first century Christians that we're going through during this eight-week series. So with that kind of background in mind, let's start with uh, chapter 14 of uh, chapter 2. Here's what James says. It says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and if one of you says to them, Oh, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself If it's not accompanied by actions, it's dead. But someone will say, well, I have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. (laughs) But even the demons believe that, and they shudder. 
Yeah, James says to believe in God is a great thing. He's not putting it down. In fact, it's the first step, isn't it, in the journey of the Christian life. It begins by believing that there is a God, the God of the Bible. And I, I feel for people who struggle even to believe that God exists, people who would maybe define themselves as atheist or agnostics. I'll admit it's sometimes kind of hard to believe that the kind of being described in the Bible is real, that he actually exists. I sort of go through a mental process myself sometimes to remind myself of what I believe. And for me, at least, let me just share with you sort of how I get to that conclusion. I begin just by looking around me and seeing everything that exists, the world, the earth, the world, the universe. And the question becomes then, you know, where did this come from? Why is there anything? And especially now that we have pretty accurate proof that the universe isn't eternal, that it had a beginning, maybe as most cosmologists I think would say, like 13.7 billion years ago, what caused it to come into existence? I mean, why was there a Big Bang if there was? What, what brought the universe into being? And for me, at least, it seems like there had to be something, someone that created all of this. And for me, that something is what I mean when I talk about God. This being who is so big, so powerful that he was actually able to create the universe. And if I take that step of believing, okay, there, there is this being out there who created everything, and that's why there is a universe, then the next question that comes to my mind is, if there's a God like that, how would he communicate to us? If he cared about us, how would he make himself known to us, let us know that he exists and, and that he loves and cares about us? I mean, that's not such an easy thing to do. Think about it for a minute. I mean, here's this eternal, spiritual, invisible God out there. How is he going to communicate with us? It would be a little bit like you're trying to communicate uh, to an earthworm, you know, an earthworm, and you're going to try to communicate to it who you are and what you're like. I mean, how would you do it? Uh, hello, earthworm, hi. Yeah, I'm, I'm real, and I, how would you do it, you know? How would God communicate to us most effectively that he exists and that he's real and that he cares about it? And then it makes sense to me that maybe the best way to do that would be for this God to actually become a human being. To live like one of us, to show us and to teach us what God is like, that he's real and that he cares about us. And in fact, to do for us what needed to be done to provide a way for us to know that God and to enter into a relationship with him. So belief in God is basic and it's important and it's that first step in the Christian life. So maybe we got some folks here today who are still struggling with that belief step. Um, wow, I just hope you're able to make sense of it. Belief in God is not illogical or uneducated or unscientific. Many of the greatest minds that ever lived believed in God. I would just encourage you to continue that pursuit to try to understand, you know, the reasons why we believe in God. That's the first step. 
But James says if that's, if that's all there is, that's not going to cut it. Just believing that there is a God isn't going to mean you have a relationship with God. It doesn't mean that you're going to have an eternity with that God. Because he says even the, the demons believe and they shudder. So what is the next step? What moves us from just believing that, that truth about God in our minds to believing and taking that next step of a relationship with God? It's what the Bible usually refers to as faith. And I think maybe in the church we have done a disservice by sort of equating the two, belief and faith. Belief is sort of that head knowledge, that uh, assertion that some things are true and we believe them. But faith is that next step. It might be better called trust, maybe. Maybe what we're talking about is not just believing in your head, but trusting that what you believe actually is true and makes a difference in your life. It's what... James and other places in the Bible call a living faith. And James says, you can have faith, but how do you know if it's a, if it's a living faith? And James gives an example. He says, the way you tell is by whether or not that faith has made a difference in your life, if it's changed your heart. You know, I believe that when a person believes in God, and believes that God became a human being, and that's Jesus, and that he died on the cross in payment for your sins, that he opened a way for us to come into a relationship with God. If you believe to the point of trusting Jesus, that he did for us what we could not do for ourselves, that through him God forgives our sins, adopts us into his family, gives us the assurance of eternal life, and gives us his spirit and changes our hearts. If you believe that's true, then when you take that step, that's what the Bible sometimes calls being born again. You know, it's a, it's a new birth. It's that radical. And when that happens, when God gives you his spirit, it changes your heart. And James says, you know, if you want to know whether or not you actually have that kind of saving faith or trust in God, look at how you live your life. So he says the way you're going to react to people is going to be different. He says, so let's say somebody comes up to you and they, um, they're really destitute. They don't have clothes to wear. They don't have food to eat. And your response is, Oh, wow. I, man, I feel bad about your condition. Listen, I'm, I'm going to pray for you, you know, and we back away. If that's your response, then James says, maybe you need to question whether or not you really have saving faith, whether or not you really have trusted in God to change your life and to change your heart. It's not a way for me to judge your faith. It's a way for you to look at your own heart and see whether you have taken that step brought something to show you today. I hope you can see this. This is a bridal veil shrub. Are you familiar with bridal veil shrub? They are beautiful, these big bushes with lush white flowers that bloom you know, virtually all summer. I, I bought this online. <laughs> I paid $15 for it. It's dead. It's never going to grow. It's never going to have these beautiful white flowers. It is dead. It is a bridal veil shrub, but it's a dead one. And James says, well, maybe, maybe you actually have a faith, you know, 
But is it a living faith? Is it the kind of faith by which you can be saved? Is it the kind of faith that has allowed you to trust God that living your life now according to His Word and His will is the only way to live? Is it the kind of trust and saving faith in God that allows you to believe that what you could not do for yourself, earn God's love, earn His forgiveness, that God has done that for us when He became a human being and Jesus died on the cross? Because if you've taken that step, you know, it changes you on the inside. And so James wants us to be able to take that next step. And, and I feel for people who, who wonder if they're really saved. I would say maybe over the course of my lifetime, probably more people have come to talk to me about that single issue than anything else. That they're uncertain about whether they're really a Christian, whether or not they really have been saved, you know. And James doesn't want us to live with that kind of, of doubt and uncertainty. He wants us to know that faith is the means by which God communicates you know, His grace to us. Remember those great verses in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9? It says, For it is by grace you have been saved, how? Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. You know, not according to works, lest any man should boast. That God's grace, that free gift of forgiveness in eternal life, is channeled to us through our faith. So then, James goes on to give us a couple examples of what that kind of trust, what that kind of living, saving faith looks like. And he gives us two examples from the Old Testament in the last part of this chapter. So we're going to take a look at that now. We're going to start with um, verse 20 of the second chapter of James. Here's what it says. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called, I love this, God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. All right, let's think about those two examples that Jesus, that James gives us of people who were actually able to trust in this God that they believed in. So the first example he gives is Abraham, maybe the, the main character in the Old Testament. Abraham, 2,000 years before Jesus, living in Ur of the Chaldees in a very pagan culture, and God, the one true God, begins to reveal himself to Abraham. And Abraham comes to believe, to believe in his head, that the God who's revealing himself to him is the only God, the one true God. And he takes that step of trusting his life to that God. And when God says, leave this pagan culture, take off and go to a place that I'm going to show you, he trusts God enough with his life with his future, 
that he obeys God and, and leaves. And God brings him to the, to the promised land, the land of Palestine, Canaan, you know. And God says to him, you know, I'm going to reward your faith. Here's what's going to happen. Look up at the stars of the sky, Abraham. I'm going to make your descendants more than the stars up there, more than the sand on the seashore, in fact. I'm going to make of you a great nation, and through you shall all of the peoples of the world be blessed. Only one problem. Abraham has no children. He has no son to carry on his name. He has no son through whom God could possibly fulfill this promise. And yet, Abraham trusts God. He trusts God enough. His faith is so strong. He believes that even though it seems impossible, because Abraham is a hundred and Sarah is ninety, that somehow God can do this. And he does. He gives Abraham a son, Isaac. Remember? God gives him a son, Isaac. And now suddenly it becomes clear. Now this is, this is obvious. This is how God is going to fulfill this promise. He's given me a son. And, and through Isaac will all the nations of the world be blessed. Just as God said. And then a few years later, God speaks to Abraham again. And God says to Abraham, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and sacrifice him to me at a place I will show you. <laughs> I almost can't handle even reading that or thinking about that. I mean, think about what God says when he describes, he says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and sacrifice him to him. I mean, this, is, this is so, so hard. For one thing, Isaac is the son of the promise. It's through Isaac that God is going to fulfill the promises that he made to Abraham. And if, if he dies, how, how can that be? He's his only son. And... He's the only son, Isaac, whom you love. He loves Isaac more than his own life. But he trusts God. And he sets out with his servants and his son Isaac, and they go off and they've walked a couple days, and then the distance they see this mountain, and God says, that's the place. And Abraham leaves his servants behind, and he goes with his son Isaac, and such a big deal for Isaac. He gets to go with his father to make a sacrifice to God and he's running on ahead and he's so excited by it all. And then he stops and says, Dad, Father, hey, hey, we got the fire and we got, we got the wood. We don't, have a, we don't have an animal for the sacrifice. And Abraham says, God will provide the sacrifice. And they go up the hill together. And they take stones and they build an altar. And Abraham takes his son Isaac, his only son Isaac, whom he loves, and he binds him with ropes and he lays him on the altar and he draws his knife. Well, you know how the story goes. God does provide the sacrifice, a, a ram caught in a thicket. You know. But James is saying, that's what I'm talking about. Trusting God enough that even in impossible situations you believe that this God is good and loving and faithful and will keep His promises and you're willing to step out in faith. 
The other example he gives is Rahab. God has brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt back in the book of Exodus, remember? And they've wandered in the wilderness for a generation. Now under the leadership of Joshua, they've crossed the Jordan River and ahead of them, in front of them, is the promised land, the land that God has said he will give to them. Right ahead of them is the city of Jericho, a big fortified, walled city. And the first thing they need to do, somehow they need to defeat the city of Jericho. And so Joshua sends spies to check out the city. And the spies go to Rahab, who is a prostitute in the city of Jericho. And she does an amazing thing. She hides the spies in her home, and then she sends them off and sends the... Jericho's soldiers in a different direction. He, she protects them and makes sure they're able to get back to the, the camp of Joshua safely. And here's what she says. Here's the reason she gives for doing that. She says, all, all my life I've heard about your God. I mean, even before I was born, I heard how he uh, parted the Red Sea so you could come out of slavery in Egypt. All my life I've been hearing stories about how your God has provided food for you in the wilderness and water out of a rock and helped you defeat your enemies. And I have come to believe, I've come to believe that your God is the one true God. And I'm willing to trust that God with my life and the life of my family. Because I believe that your God is going to give Jericho into your hands. And she takes this huge step of turning her back on the pagan gods of her, of her city, turning her back on her people and siding with the one true God. She takes this enormous step of trust in God and God rewards it. And Rahab and her family are saved when God gives the city of Jericho to Joshua and the armies of Israel. And, Jacob, and James says, that's, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that step of moving from belief to trust to a saving, living faith. And I would challenge you to examine your life at this point. Have you, have you taken that step of actually believing that there is this God that the Bible describes Does it make sense to you that that God might become one of us to reveal to us who He is, what He's like, how much He loves us? Are you ready then to take that next step of saving faith? Are you willing to say to God, I believe, and now I'm going to ask you to do what I believe you've done, you know, to provide for my sins. Will you forgive me? Will you adopt me into your family? Will you give me your spirit? Will you help me to live a life for you? And will you give me that assurance that someday I will live in heaven with you? That's, that's the next step that James says needs to be taken. And maybe it needs to be taken um, by some of you today. It's a little like the disciples out in the Sea of Galilee in the midst of the storm. and Jesus comes walking to them on the water. And Peter has that experience. You know, he says to Jesus, you know, if you are who I believe you are, so he's saying, I'm, in my head, I believe it. I've come to believe that you are the, the Son of God, that all power and glory and might is yours. I believe it. I'm, I'm willing to, to step out in faith now. And Jesus says, do it, Peter. Step out of the boat and come to me. 
And Peter does what nobody else in the history of the world has ever done. He steps out of the boat in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the storm, and he walks on water because he had saving faith, trust in Jesus Christ. On behalf of Jesus, I say to you, are you ready today to step out of the boat? Are you willing and able today to trust Jesus with your future, with your present, with your eternity? Just a couple of minutes, we're going to be celebrating communion together. You know, maybe while we take that bread and we remember the, the broken body of Jesus as we take the cup and think about his shed blood for us, maybe that's the moment you need to say to Jesus, you know, for the first time, I'm gonna, I'm really gonna trust you with my life. When I was a, a kid, I'm thinking maybe fifth or sixth grade, you know, I was in this neat church and I remember one Sunday morning, uh, the pastor of our, of our church explained about salvation, how you need to take that step of faith. And he said, you know, if there's anybody here uh, today who would be willing publicly to say, yes, I am a sinner and I need Jesus Christ and I'm going to take that step of faith, you know, he said, just, you know, come on here to the front of the church. And I remember sitting there in that hard wooden pew and watching as a man in our church went forward. His name was Ted Miller. And Ted was not an unreligious guy. He was the head of our Sunday school, our, you know, our children's education program in the church. Respected man in our church and in our community. And I watched as Ted went forward and he knelt in the front of the church, you know, tears streaming down his face. And, um, and as a kid, I watched him. I watched him for those next months and years. And I watched, I watched his Faith come alive. I watched him grow in Jesus Christ. I know it's true. I know it works. I know it's the call of Jesus to each one of us. So let me lead us in prayer, and then we'll come together to communion, and you just listen, listen to what it is that Jesus might be saying to you today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, I pray first of all for folks who are maybe struggling even to believe and I pray that you would help them to understand the beautiful logic of believing that you are the creator God and that you became one of us and I pray for friends today who maybe are uncertain even whether they've ever taken that step of faith I pray Lord that you would give them the courage and the humility to confess their sins to you and to ask for your forgiveness through Jesus, to ask you to come in and give them a new heart and a new life. Thank you for what you are doing among us, you know, right at this very moment. Amen.